For those of you who are guests today and or have not been able to be with us frequently over the last several months, I it's kind of a sermon that almost makes me feel just a little bit bad. It's like you're jumping into the middle of a conversation and without knowing what's going on before, it's really hard to get oriented because uh, we've been having a, a lengthy journey about what is involved with seeing and hearing God in our lives. And we have been proceeding with the assumption that everyone, literally everyone, would be interested in the invitation to be able to sit down and have a conversation and be able to hear from the individual, the being, who determined how many stars there were going to be in the sky, how far the sun is from the earth, and how warm it will make us. We'd love to sit down and have a conversation who, with the individual determined how strong gravity was going to be. The person who engineered the plans that determined how every single species on the planet was going to reproduce. The guy who determined the intellectual capacity of the human brain and what we were going to be able to figure out and not do, who, who designed this wonderful tool that we call a human body that can do incredible things to sit down and have a conversation and look square in the face the individual who designed a plan that satisfied every dimension of celestial justice where he could take those who were guilty and declare them innocent and ready to stand in his presence. I mean, everybody would want to take advantage of that opportunity, wouldn't you? I mean, how many of you today have said, you know what, you can go to the White House tomorrow and sit down and have a conversation with the President of the United States? How many of you would, 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 wouldn't cancel your plans and say, count me in? How much more so if we get to sit down with the President, the sovereign being over the universe, and he's ready to tell us what he's up to, who he's, what he's like, and what he wants us to do with our lives? And we've been having that conversation about what does it take for us to seize that opportunity for weeks. Talking about how God does that through His Word. How He does that through the Holy Spirit. How He does that through other believers, the, the everyday oracles that God has placed in our lives. How He's done that through our circumstances. And we've come to the place in our journey as we think about what does it take to really hear from God and to see Him that we've begun to encounter what Jesus puts so succinctly in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in spirit, for they will see God. Or as the author in the book of Hebrews put it, pursue peace with all men and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And we've been exploring the significance of holiness or purity in our ability to be able to see this one who determined how many stars are going to be in the night sky and how cold it's going to be in New England and how warm it's going to be in Florida. You know, what does it take? What is the role of this? And, and last week, as we explored just a little bit about the, the nature of that, clean, of that purity, we, we understood that it involved a dimension of cleanness, of purifying our hands, in the words of James. Just like we clean our glasses after we've been out working hard and sweated in them and covered them with dust so that we can actually see clearly again, we need to clean it up because sin always clouds our vision of God. And sometimes makes it almost impossible to see him at all, even as his children. We also looked at the fact that that purity had a sense of undividedness about it. It means that we eliminate all of the gawker blockers in our lives, those distractions that are on the side of the road on our spiritual journey, and we keep wanting to look off at them, and we miss what God's doing right in front of us, to have this undivided attention on God. And we also began to discover the role of proximity, of being close to God. And, and the word that I want to share with you today is to come back to that challenge and that invitation that we discovered last week 
that God extended to us through James, the half-brother of the Lord, as He inspired him to write the book that we know as the Epistle of St. James, where he said, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. That's in James chapter 4, verse 8. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn with me to the fourth chapter of the book of James. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, you'll find our text today on page 1026. If you're using your own Bible and not quite familiar where the book of James is, if you get over to the back of the, towards the end of the New Testament, you'll find it kind of crammed in there between the book of Hebrews and the two epistles of Peter, first and second Peter, James chapter four. I want to read verses one through 10 for us today. And then explore some of the implications, really, really in many ways, just a simple word that God's placed on my heart to share with you today about this issue of drawing near to God as a matter of being able to be close to Him so that we can see Him and hear Him as He speaks in our lives. James starts in the first verse of the fourth chapter. He says, what is the source of the wars and the fights among you? Don't they come from cravings that are at war within you? You desire and you do not have. So you murder and covet covet and cannot attain. You fight and you war. See, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly so that you may spend it on your desires for pleasure. In other words, he's saying you're not asking for the glory of God. You're just asking for yourself so you can expend it on yourself instead of asking it in God's glory. And then verse 4 says, adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. Or do you think it's without reason the scripture says that he has caused, that he has caused to live in us, that, sorry, that the spirit he has caused to live in us yearns jealously. And and the idea there is God has placed his spirit within us and he didn't want anything to break that communion with him. And God is just jealous to be close to that gift that he's given us, which is the spirit that brings us spiritual life. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, but resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded people. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Your laughter must change to mourning and your your joy to sorrow. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. What's the first thing that comes to our minds when we think about drawing near to God? We understand that part of this purity of heart, this holiness that allows us to see God, to be able to talk to this one who has determined how strong gravity is going to be, how long a day is going to last. We, we want to be in communion with Him, the guy who knows the future as well as he knows the past. We want to be able to talk to Him. And He says that in order to do that, we need to stay close to Him and There's this invitation to draw near to Him. And what immediately comes to our mind when we start thinking about drawing near to God? Let me kind of answer the question for you. Because immediately the thing that starts to pop in the mind is all the things that we can do to draw near to God, doesn't it? I can pray more. I can read the Bible more. I can fast. I can confess. I can serve. I can go to church more. I can spend time in Sabbath rest. I can do, you know, do times of solitude where I'm real. And we, we begin to develop all this list of things that we can do, right? And, and none of those things are bad. In fact, they're all good. We refer to them as spiritual disciplines. Some of them are pretty fundamental, like prayer, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, memorizing Scripture, worship, giving, those kinds of things. Others are a bit more advanced. 
Many people don't really ever get into them, but things like fasting, times of Sabbath and solitude, simplicity of life, kind of decluttering life, the confession of sin to others as a form of cleansing and getting it all out of there. They're all wonderful, godly things that I recommend to you 100%. And if you're interested in learning more about that, and I think I will spend some more time next week talking about them, some of the key ones, but there's been some wonderful materials written about it. And for once in my life, I don't have a problem with recommending a book to you to read. Because if you're not willing to go read the book, you're not going to practice the disciplines anyways. You know, so they just got to go hand in hand. There's a wonderful book out that's been out for over 20 years called The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Good stuff. But even, even as out of necessity, I highlight to you the things that we need to do in order to draw near to God. It makes my heart heavy. It gives me a sense of trepidation. Because our, our very tendency, just the natural instincts, is, is that you know, we want to embrace this kind of idea because, well, you know, we just love depending on ourselves. And here's something I can do, something I can control. And so, and I, and so here's something where I don't have to release it. I can, I can figure out just how much time I'm going to pray and study the Bible, when I'm going to have my Sabbath rest and do these things. And, 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 and it gives us something to do and it leaves us in control. And it is so counterproductive to the fact that spiritual maturity is learning how to lose control to God. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we spend all of our lives trying to raise, as parents trying to raise our children from dependence to independence, and God spends all of His time trying to lead us from independence back to dependence upon Him. And so, somehow in the midst of this quirk, God, our, our challenge of drawing near to God gives us all these things to do, and then we say, well, I can do these things independent of God. These are things that I can master. And it creates what I call the pharisaical dilemma or syndrome, where you take the very means of drawing near to God and it makes you blind to the presence of God who's right in your midst. I mean, if you would ask anybody in the times of Jesus who were the most religious people, who would they have said? For those of you who are familiar with the New Testament, you said, it's the Pharisees. Those guys are nuts. I mean, they just take, you know, they're, they're, they're you know, religious on steroids, you know. They're, they're memorizing scripture and this and that and they're wearing stuff and they're, and they're doing, they're just nuts. I mean, these are the kind of people who are ready to memorize all of the Gospel of Matthew. You know, every single word. All 28 verses. These guys are crazy. That's how committed they are. And that Jesus could stand right in the midst of them. And who's Jesus again? He's God, right? He's standing right in the midst of them. And they can't see God. And that can happen to us. And I would suffice it to say it has happened to us. We've taken this, just like we fall in love with the gifts and ignore the giver of the gifts, God. We can fall, we can get so dependent and controlled over these, these spiritual disciplines that God had given us that we just abandon the objective, which is actually to live in the presence of God. So we can see Him and we can hear Him. The Apostle Paul highlighted this challenge when he said in Galatians chapter 5, the 25th verse, he said, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna live by the Spirit, you also gotta walk by the Spirit. And what he meant was, if, if you reach that place in your spiritual journey where you realize, you know what? I am never, ever, ever going to be good enough to live in God's presence. And so I'm just going to stop trying, and I'm just going to depend one whole, 100% completely, totally in God's grace in order to have a relationship with Him. That's living by the Spirit. 
Just saying, God, I give up. I give up trying to be good enough. I'm not going to try to earn your, your, your relationship, your salvation, based upon all the things I see. No, I'm just going to accept your free gift of eternal life that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And we become 100% dependent upon God for our salvation. He says, that's the way you're going to walk, live. It's also the way you've got to walk. That's the way you've got to live. You've got to live 100% dependent upon God. So, how is it that we draw near to God? And somehow in the midst of it, not find ourselves blind to God. I just have two simple words for you today that I see leaping to me out of this text. Probably not sufficient for all of the problem, but it's a good start. How it is that we can actually take these wonderful gifts of spiritual disciplines that God's given us, and rather than promoting independence in our lives, they actually lead us to a place where we are totally dependent upon God. And with that, have the option, the ability to be able to see him and to hear him. And the first of those is the word desire. You know, I look at verse 4, and here's James writing to a group of Christians, and he said, you know what? You guys are spiritual adulterers. You're in relationship with God, but you're trying to have an affair on the side with the world. Isn't that exactly what he says? He says, you, it says, adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. And what he's really getting at is the heart. He says, he's really asking this question. Do you really love God? Do you really love God? And, you know, and, and, and let me do one of these. You know, no, you don't. And that's one figure pointing at you and three back at me. See, there's a lot of times we convince ourselves we love God. Yeah, I love God, you know. We say we do. We think we do. We can't come to admit the fact that we don't love God, but we look at our lives and there's lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of things that say you don't love God. You know, sometimes I have people come into my office and these are people who just clearly have not centered their, their lives around God in, in any way, shape, or form. And they, they say, well, I, you know, I love God. And, and, and sometimes it, it takes all I can muster, you know, if, just to say, no, you don't. I mean, you're just fooling yourself. I mean, sometimes, we, you know, just, just replay the tape of our lives sometimes. You know, we, some of us, we've left strings of broken relationships behind us. For other things, that you know, we just, there, there's no fruit of the Spirit in our lives. There's, there's no missional living where we understand that God is trying to do His work through us. There's no rela- real relationship with the people of God. There's a callousness to the needs that are around us. There's a sense of self-indulgence where we're always asking the question, how is this going to affect me? And is it going to make me uncomfortable? And the list just kind of goes on and on. And I'm just talking about me. I haven't even started talking about you yet. I'm sure the people that James wrote to would have said, you know, we love God. We're putting up with a lot of stuff for being a Christian. The world's not being nice to us. I'm suffering a lot for this. What do you mean I don't love God? He said, well, you're, you know, you're an adulterer. I think in a lot of ways, the reasons why we don't relinquish control of our lives to God through the spiritual disciplines that he's given us is because we're really just not in love with him. And because we're not in love with him, we don't trust him enough. We say, you know what? God's going to make me do something I don't want to do. The other word, and, and it's more than one word, all right? I know that, okay? I just couldn't get it down any simpler than this. It's this idea of, of, de- of dependent discipline, where we become dependent by our disciplines. This is not an easy word for me to talk about, because if you will talk to my wife, I hate routines. And somehow or another, discipline and routines 
kind of seemed to be the same thing to me. <laughs> you know, where you got to do the same thing all the time, consistently. That, that takes, that sounds like a routine to me, and I hate routines, you know. So this is a tough one for me. But look at verse 10. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Again, this is all in the context of drawing near to God, so he'll draw near to us so that we can actually see God, we can actually hear God, we can understand that the guy who's plan we can understand the plans of the guy who's laid out history, not only for all of the world, but for us as well. I mean, this is an incredible opportunity. He says, This is what it takes. Humble yourselves in the presence of God, and he will exalt you. Notice our role, humble ourselves. Notice his role. He'll exalt you. For me, often, it's I will Get myself exalted because of all of the disciplines that I act on. I love what Richard Foster said in this book, Celebration of Discipline, about the spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines don't accomplish anything. They simply put us in a place where God can accomplish stuff in us. All they do is put us in a place where God can transform us from the inside out. See, the spiritual disciplines, they don't, they don't accomplish anything. Zip, zero, nothing. But what they do do is put us in a place where we are humbled in the presence of God. And then he can exalt us. I don't know. I try to think of an illustration. I mean, let's just imagine. This is a bad scenario. But just imagine you're at home and you have a heart attack. You just collapse on the floor. You know, and, and, and all you can manage to do is drag yourself across the floor. Grab, grab the cord that goes to the phone and pull it down off of the counter and dial 911. Have you saved yourself from the heart attack yet? All you've done is put yourself in a position where now you can be dependent upon somebody else to save you. That's what spiritual disciplines do for us. That's what drawing near to God does for us. It pulls us, it puts us in a place where we've yelled out to God, I need help and I'm totally dependent. Come do your work in me. That's why we pray. That's why we study the Bible. That's why we worship together with other believers. That's why we get together and do spiritual life together with other believers. That's why we confess our sins and we serve and we give and all these other things. is to put us in a position where our 911 call is going out to God so that he can show up in our lives and exalt us. Draw near to God. Put yourself in a position where you can be fully dependent upon God. And he will draw near to you and exalt you. And guess what? God never, ever wants us to forget the fact that we are 100% dependent upon him. It's one of the reasons why he gave us the cup and the bread. Every time we lift up the cup, every time we take the bread, we're acknowledging to God, I had nothing to do with this. This is all you. And the way we do spiritual life is all God. As we come to the table today, ask yourself the question, do you really want to see God? Do you love God enough to put yourself in a position where he can reveal himself to you? Will you truly humble yourself in the sight of God that he might exalt you? Let's pray together. Father, the, under, the undercurrent of the theme as I studied this week, it kept striking me over and over again, is just how incredibly patient you are with us. Here you have released the treasures of heaven to us. We take your marvelous gifts in our lives. And we either worship them so much that we ignore you, or we pervert them that they keep us from seeing you. God, show us, even though it might be very painful, whether or not we really believe in you, whether we have a really saving faith in the Christ who died on the cross for us, whether we really acknowledged our sin to you and confessed it and been broken by it and turned away from it and experienced your forgiveness by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. 
And God, whether we're in love with you enough to stop being friends with the world so that we can have the time and the space to humble ourselves in your presence. That, might you, that you might get us to the experience of abundant life, this exaltation that you've always longed to give us. God, show us where we are. And then as we depend on you, take us to where you want us to be. This is what we ask. This is what we hope we desire. In the name of Christ, amen.